So I'm not sure if anyone has pointed this out to you since it became all the rage sort of over the last week or so, but I've been on this website today called chat.openai.com. And it is a chatbot, artificial intelligence-driven chatbot. And I don't know much about how this stuff works. I do know what you can do with something like this. Um, and it's quite, it's quite remarkable. In fact, people have been sort of jaw-dropped by this whole thing. Um, it's called ChatGPT. Essentially, what it allows you to do is you can enter a, a command. Say, for instance, write a statement about radio news. And this thing churns out a statement about radio news in a nanosecond. So what it did is what is radio news is an important source of information for many people around the world. It provides timely updates on current events, politics, sports, and more, allowing listeners to stay informed about what is happening in their local communities and beyond. Now, that's pretty generic, right? But that was written by a bot in about five seconds. You just I just asked it to write a statement about radio news, type that in, hit enter, and within seconds, it gave me that, which if you think about it, is pretty remarkable. I asked them to write a limerick about a radio talk show host called Ben, and it turned out again in just a matter of seconds. There once was a radio host named Ben. I don't know about the past tense there. There once was a radio host named Ben who talked with a voice that was grand. He discussed all the news and played all the best tunes and kept his listeners entertained and in hand. Not bad, right? In a matter of seconds, write a limerick about a talk show radio host called Ben. That's what it gave me. Now, I did try to give it, <laughs> drill down a little bit further and asked them to write an article about Ben O'Hara Byrne. And this is what they gave me. And this is, you'll see this is part of the problem with it. Um, ben O'Hara Byrne was a beloved poet and writer who left an indelible mark on the literary world. Born and raised in Dublin, Ireland, O'Hara Byrne was the youngest of five siblings and grew up in a close-knit family. Of course, none of that is correct. None of it. But it sounds so authoritative, doesn't it? And again, it just turned that out in a matter of seconds. So this, of course, is what could you do with this? I mean, there's any number of things. Write me an essay. Write me an essay about, uh, you know, anything. The American Revolution. Write me an essay. It will do it. It will do it quickly. Now, you know, I'm pretty sure people could pick up on the fact that it wasn't written necessarily by a human being. But could they? Could they? This gets awfully close to that fine line between who wrote this, a human or a machine, because it finds the way that words connect to each other. And it searches through its vast memory for, for associations and so on and turns things out very quickly. So I wanted to find out more about how it works, why it's caused such a furor, uh, and so forth. And we thought we'd ask we'd Benj Edwards. He's the AI and machine learning reporter for Ars Technica. He's also editor-in-chief of Vintage Computing and Gaming. And he joins us now from Raleigh in North Carolina. Thanks so much for your time. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me on. Now, you know a lot about this technology, but I think for a lot of first-timers uh, moving into it, it's it's pretty jaw-dropping because of what it can do. So what exactly does this sort of, uh, what what exactly does this technology do? I'm not a technical expert on this. I, you know, I have a cursory knowledge of all this stuff, enough for me to report on it. But, um, you know, what's shocking people about it is that you can converse with a machine like a human, basically. And it's it gives a very convincing performance. It's very sure of itself. It can 
answer a lot of questions in a lot of detail that was never possible before. Yeah, we all have a friend like that, right? That's the. Uh, uh, but in this sense, it, it's able to do some pretty incredible stuff when you, when you prompt it to. In other words, you know, churn out essays, churn out statements, and so on, uh, even articles. Basically, what the kind of thing you and I do. Yeah, it's um, it's great at predicting the next thing in a sequence. So it it's great at completing thoughts. For example. Um, like if you start a poem or something, or you start like an essay, it could it can finish that. It can also originate things. That's something that's sort of new to this chat GPT because the technology behind it is several years old now, and they've improved it. OpenAI has improved it over time. So it's learning in other words. Yeah, they've trained it more and they've, they've figured out ways to guide its output to be more accurate over time, just mostly through human feedback. Yeah. So, so what is it doing? I mean, just so listeners understand what, what it's actually doing. When you input something like, you know, write a sonnet about uh, my radio show, for instance, it, it does something. And then it, it does, in fact, it, it's not always accurate, but it will mm -hmm. spit something out. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. So it's a predictive text model. The GPT-3 that it's based on is a what we call a large language model that is a deep learning AI model. It's a piece of software that has code that can absorb information from a, a data set, which in this case is millions of books and articles on the internet and Wikipedia, and probably every single English language piece of data they could get their hands on. They've probably fed it into this electronic brain in a sense. It's a neural network that takes this information, all, all those text word, the word positions in each text it's reading, and it calculates like a statistical model of how often each word occurs close to other words, basically. And in doing that, it sort of gets a general idea of the relationship between concepts. But it, it, this particular model, I think, only does a token at a time. Each token is a word. So it's doing like a word by word thing, and it's predicting what's the most likely word that's going to come next in this sequence. And you started out by asking it a question. That's the prompt that it starts. So it's going to continue your prompt by guessing what comes next. And what a lot of people don't realize when they're using ChatGPT is that the entire conversation is the prompt. It keeps adding to itself over time. It has to have that continual feedback to maintain the conversation. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. um, yep. I guess you wouldn't want to play Scrabble against it. That's the, uh, <laughs> for obvious reasons. Uh, I mean, it's been interesting, the reaction to it, because there's been both sort of awe and shock, if we want to reverse those words. It can be fooled into sounding confidently wrong. You called it a superhuman fiction machine at one point. That's true. The world's greatest liar. <laughs> That's the funny thing about it is I do believe there's some sort of a primitive form of thinking going on here that's understanding some relationships between concepts. But at this point, it's still very much a, uh, a crapshoot or a slot machine where you're, you're pulling a handle by putting in a prompt and you get a result. And if you like it, then it looks like it's brilliant because it happens to match what you know about the world. But it can also very easily put out very confident nonsense that it sounds like it's perfect or it could be something that's 90% accurate, but it slips in something that's just ridiculous. And if you didn't know the answer, you wouldn't know that it was wrong. And so that's a very dangerous thing about trying to rely on this as a authoritative resource on any information at this yeah. moment. 
I say we, we all have an uncle like that too. Um, oh, have, have you tr- have you tried it out? I mean, what just for example, have you sort of looked into or tested it to see where it where it falls a bit short that way, or where yeah. it sounds confidently wrong? Yeah, I mean, one thing I learned early on messing with GPT three earlier this year before the chat uh, GPT came out was I would ask it things about what I know to be true that are not commonly known, like in video game history or computer history or something, because I'm a historian on the side here. And it doesn't know, like, because I've never written about it publicly. It it can't bring those ideas together if they haven't already been put together in the, the training data. And however, if you are in the process of talking to it, you can talk it through a series of sort of logical steps to kind of teach it within that session something that it needs to know. And it can do some basic reasoning out of that, which is really amazing. But otherwise, it will easily tell you nonsense. So you got to be careful. Right. And it does. I mean, what is it? What's the example that's floating around out there? The Ohio-Indiana War, which is fictitious, by the way. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. could feed it an entirely fictitious fictitious scenario, and it could spit out a very confident-sounding synopsis of it that sounds like something you would see written down somewhere. Yeah. And see, it doesn't care that it's telling you nonsense because it doesn't know and it doesn't think to that extent. It's just trying to predict what would come next. It's like a mirror held up to you, like what you feed it is what it's going to give back to you. So the prompting is absolutely essential in how the output is going to come out. Benj, when you look at this, though, I mean, one thinks of the things that it could be used for, like essay writing at school, for instance, Uh, it's going to create some problems because it is really, really good. Oh, yeah. Throughout all of history up to this point, I think we've been able to confidently say everything we read was written by a human, just most of everything, you know, unless it's algorithmically generated by a machine and it looks like it's, you know, computer generated. But um, there's a certain level of trust there that you're receiving information from a person. And that's probably not going to be the case anymore. This, despite the weaknesses and drawbacks we've discussed, it will probably continue to increase in quality and capability um, till it's probably completely indistinguishable from people. That's a brave new world, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it it is. is, uh, So for good, I suppose it could help people. um, It could help people out with structure and writing and sort of create a, a level playing field when it comes to producing the written word. Gosh, there's, I mean, there's the implications are so, they're so mind blowing and so wide. That's why I think everybody's freaking out about this is because they hadn't considered it. Um, one thing I worried about, I wrote an article for Fast Company in 2020 about deep fakes, which is basically was a term at that time for any kind of computer generated fake of images or text or anything, that how they could impact the historical record. So people could make up fake artifacts or fake uh, articles or fake anything right. that, will rewrite history or make an entirely alternative history to support an ideology. And I think those are extreme uh, risks to our society. Yeah. And I'm not quite sure how to counter that yet, but this is a step in that direction. What about it just in terms of the positives? We talked about that as well, is that it can allow you to, I mean, some people have dismissed this already as sort of saying, well, it's not nearly as game changing as we think, but certainly when you look at it, the future, you're looking at the future, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I've dismissed it too, to an extent by saying that, yes, this current generation is just like a, like a, a slot machine. Some, some people call it a, a sto- stochastic parrot that sort of just spits stuff back at you kind of ram- randomly and you see what you want to see in it. But also just a few years ago, what we see now wasn't possible and it's been rapid acceleration. And uh, 
I think that the the economic pressures to adopt this kind of technology that can accelerate productivity are just too high to to have it stop. I mean, imagine just having people, you know, write or talk to people. You will replace some low-paid workers somewhere. And that sure that has bad effects for some people, but that's what businesses want. They want to streamline costs, they want to increase productivity because that's what the economy demands. And it's going to drive the adoption of this stuff very fast, I think. Yeah, essentially, what we're seeing here is 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 a uh, is an artificial a computer essentially being able to converse, right? Being able yeah. to respond and respond intelligently and sort of put things together and predict, and that in itself. Um, yeah. Now, the yeah. company that's looked into this, I was reading. I mean, they're aware of they're aware of some of the benefits and some of the costs of this, uh, are they not? Yeah, I think so. I have, you know, I've, I have some contacts that know some people in the company. Um, I don't, I haven't been talking to them directly at, at OpenAI uh, recently or anything, but I, from everything I can tell, like rumors through the grapevine and reading their own policies that they've written, I think they are proceeding cautiously. Uh, it seems like they have a sort of iterated rollout plan where their plan is to sort of introduce something and take a step back, see how people react, and then sort of do the next level. And I, I have reason to believe they have even more powerful technology that they haven't shown anyone yet because it's just too ridiculous. Because they've even said ChatGPT is like, it's basically last year's tech. Right. <laughs> it's like it, the training ended in early 2022, which means they've been working on something else since then. You know, we could be looking at something like GPT-4, the next generation, you know, maybe next year, and it could just blow everyone's minds. I have no idea. Yeah, what would that look like to to you? I mean, what would that look like to the rest of us, those of us who who don't know much about it, haven't used it? What could a uh, where does this go next, even in the near future? We're already seeing this sort of emergent effects coming out of a large language model that no one ever expected. So I think that when for people first program this machine to read everything that's ever been written. They probably didn't think that, oh, you can teach it its own language, which someone did the other day, like a new fictional language, and it determines the grammar, or it can program every computer programming language ever written, or it could simulate a computer session. Someone's done that. And there's, I feel like that, that emergence comes out of the complexity of this model. And they're working on more and more complex models that are currently held back by just the cost of computing power and computing capability, which is exponentially increasing. So every year we're going to see these increases in complexity. And I think that the next models could just completely blow us away in a way that we don't expect because there's some kind of like, you know, some sort of reasoning taking place when those connections are made in the neural network that, that it's, it's hard to predict what's going to happen, but I think it's going to be amazing. We might not even recognize it when we see it. I mean, at that point, yeah. it, it, it'll, it'll move beyond us. Our ability to to compose, right? Our ability to, to mm -hmm. use our brains to write and to and to speak and so forth. Ben Edwards, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great.